Thanks for joining us for this message from the Real Life Student Ministries of James River Assembly. For more information, visit us at reallifeonline.com or facebook.com slash reallife. Well, if you have your Bibles, and I really hope that you do, please turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. Um, we do have limited time tonight, and, and, you know, I was just so struggling as to what to share. Like, what do you share on the final night uh, when you're thinking, man, what would I like to just leave with the students and leaders of real life? And I felt like the Lord directed my attention to Acts chapter 20. So if you do have your copy of God's Word, you can take that, look at Acts chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading verse 22. And if you would, please stand for the reading of God's Holy Word, because God's Word is good stuff. So let's get into it. Looking forward to hanging out with you at the reception afterwards tonight, so then we can reminisce and just cry a lot more. It'll just be awesome. That just sounds like a blast, so let's do that. Right now, let's get into this. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. If you have it, say, uh-huh. uh-huh. And if you're ready, say, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Paul, writing says, talking here, now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Somebody say nothing. Nothing. Somebody shout nothing. Nothing. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. God, you are good. Your word is truth, and I pray that tonight we be transformed by it. In your holy name I pray, amen. Before you see it, give three people a high five and say, come on, let's listen to Jesus tonight. Come on. Special thanks to our guests who are here. I see former staff members here in the house tonight. What's up? I'm not even going to begin to call names because uh, I will, like, Mess up on that too, but man, how how special just in, in the plan of God, you know, to get to be here together like this. This is amazing. Uh, I know that my family is here tonight, which is the coolest thing to me uh, in the world. So always love having my mom and dad and brothers and sister uh, here with. But I love the body of Christ, the family of God. How many guys know we're family, right? We know that to be true. So as we're looking at this story in the book of Acts tonight, this is not, this is not a night that's about Scotty. It's, it's not uh, a night that's even about real life. We're going to learn from God's word and what he would want to say to us individually tonight so that we can be the individuals that we're supposed to be as the body of Christ, so we can be the family that we're supposed to be and do the work of the Lord that he's called us uh, to carry out. But it's kind of interesting when you come to this story in Acts chapter 20, with Paul, that he's in a time of transition. He's going through a transition, and he is having a very, very emotional farewell. And so I can somewhat not totally relate, because he's about to tell them, hey, I'm never going to see you again. I'm about to go die, and that is not my story, all right? So I just want to make sure that part of it is cleared up right out of the gate. 
Uh, but in verse 25, he is saying to them, look, I'm going away and, and we're probably not going to see each other again this side of heaven. And then in verse 37, it says that they wept. There was sadness. And yet in the midst of his transition, in the midst of this emotional farewell, there are some things that he says that I so resonate with. But again, it's not even about Paul. It's not even about, about what I'm thinking or feeling, but it's about what God may speak to you tonight for your own life. But let's just quickly just look at a few things here from Paul. Then we'll pray together at the end. But the first thing, if you're taking notes, and I hope that you are, you can write these things down. Number one, he was compelled by the Spirit. He was compelled by the Spirit. How many guys know that Paul was a man of God, right? You guys know that you are seriously walking with Jesus when people are like, hey, can I just, like, my, my, my friend's really sick, and if you can just hand me your, your snot rag to go and, like, hand me your handkerchief so that I can go and touch them so they can be healed. You are walking with Jesus when you have that kind of anointing and power operating in your life. Paul was, like, shipwrecked. He was, he was beaten. Uh, he was left for dead, and yet he would keep on keeping on. He would continue to serve the Lord. Uh, wrote about half of the entire New Testament. Would that be pretty cool on your resume? You know, like <laughs> student body president wrote half the New Testament. I mean, that would just be probably helpful in a job interview or something like that, depending on the job. But Paul, here he is, so anointed by the Lord. And when you look at this passage here, as he's having this conversation, he's talking to his friends and he says this, I am compelled by the Spirit. He's saying that I am controlled by, I am moved by what I'm about to tell you guys. I want you to know comes from not just this idea that I just came up with or something that I thought, well, this would be a neat part of my journey. But what he says is that I'm gripped by something and for something. I'm consumed by this thought. I'm compelled by this cause. And this is what propels me. Let me just ask you tonight, what drives you? Like, what fuels your fire? What moves you to do what you do? Like, what is it about your life that just really causes you to say, you know what, if nothing else, I'm going to be a part of or I'm going to accomplish whatever? What is it that has so gripped you and so consumed you that you would look at it and say, that is what compels me? For Paul... It was the Spirit of God, driven by it, compelled by it. He was compelled, not by money, not by safety, not by comfort. In our day and time, when you look at people's lives, you can see a lot of different motivators, but really they all are pathetic compared to being compelled by the Spirit. And then he goes on to say the second thing. Number two, he was facing an uncertain future. He says, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. He says, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He's saying, I'm gripped by the Spirit and what I'm about to go and do, I don't even totally understand. I don't even fully recognize or realize all that awaits me. All I know is that there's going to be some difficult stuff. There are going to be some mountains to climb. And how many of you understand that even though you don't have a crystal ball, you can't look into the future. You know that there are going to be mountains. There are going to be mountaintop experiences. There are going to be highs in life. And there are going to be valley seasons. There are going to be lows. 
There are going to be times in your life where you're just thinking, it cannot get any better than this. And then there are other times that you're going to think, I cannot even go another day. Anybody ever been there before where you just experienced an extreme day? Something that was really, really awesome. You just never want it to end. And then maybe you've been through days that it was so difficult. You just thought, I just wish this would end right now. And Paul was compelled by the Spirit and heading in a direction to where he says, I don't even know all that lies ahead. But I do know that it's not always going to be easy. So he goes on to say, verse 24, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. Write this down. Point number three, he wasn't living for himself. He recognized that it was not all about him. And friends, if we could really get this, we would be well on our way to understanding what it truly means to follow Jesus. Is when we recognize that to find your life, you have to lose your life. To experience the abundant life, you have to give up your pathetic life. No matter how good your life may be without Christ... No matter how great it may seem, you better, according to Corinthians and what Paul said to the Corinthians, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. That's what he said. If you're not going to live for the hope in Christ and live your life devoted to him, he said, this is as good as it gets. How many of you understand that somebody's not living for Jesus, all the money that they can get, all the partying that they can experience, whatever fame they could accomplish or achieve or enjoy, they better live it up because life on this earth is short. And eternity is really, really long. And for those who aren't following Jesus, this is as good as it gets. But for those who are followers of Christ, this is as bad as it gets. For those whose hope is in the Lord, we anticipate heaven. And guys, don't you know heaven's going to be pretty amazing, right? No more pain, no more sickness, no more heartache, no more disease, no more goodbyes together forever hanging out in heaven. Watching like DVDs of the Bible and the Old Testament. And I just want to see how did Jonah do that. I mean, I just can't wait. I don't know if they're going to be DVDs in heaven. But it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to be there. But what I understand is my life here on this earth until I get to that point. I'm not living for me. So the decisions that I make, it's not about what does Scotty want or what would be easiest or what would be safest or what would be most comfortable for you in your own life. When you get so compelled by the Spirit, you don't know what lies ahead, but all you know is it doesn't matter because it's not about me. It's not about what job do you want. It's what calling is on your life. It's not about what path is easiest. It's what path is God calling you to. It's not what mountain are you willing to climb. It's what mountain is God calling you to climb. Why don't you just look at your neighbor right now and say, seriously, for real, it's not about you. And you know what? It'd probably be good for some of us, a lot of us, if not all of us, to have every single day, we just kind of start off the day by saying that. Because a lot of times we live our lives as if it's totally, completely all about us. And Paul understood that in order to be who God created him to be and do what God created him to do, he recognized, you know what? However, I consider my life 
worth nothing to me. If only, he says. I mean, it's not about me. It's not about what I want. But if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Number four, he lived for God's purpose. It wasn't about him. It wasn't for him. Gripped by the spirit, his life was devoted to spreading the good news of Jesus. He says, if only. Do you have an if only in your life? Do you have a, I don't care what happens, this will happen in your life? Do you have something that is so divinely inspired by God that it's captivated your heart and you're compelled by it so that you would speak, you would shout with your life, if only, if only I may finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What is that task? The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. If you know your story, if you know your Bible, if you know a little bit about Paul, you know, before he was Paul, he was Saul, but in Acts chapter 9, he had an encounter with God that changed his life. And so what he's saying right here is, you know what? It's no longer about me. I'm consumed with him. There's just only really one thing that matters. That's finishing this race that he's called me to run. He's given me a task and assignment, and it's to tell the world about this Jesus that I met. How many of you are just thankful that you've met Jesus tonight? Are you thankful? Doesn't it just excite you to know that you have Jesus? Then that becomes your if only. Because when you know him and when you love him and when you're serving him, you live with a mindset that says, I've been so changed by you that there's just one thing I'm going to spend the rest of my earthly days doing, and that is telling the world that Jesus lives. He says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I can finish this race, if I can fulfill this task of carrying out the good news about Jesus because I once was lost, but no longer. I'm now found. I used to be away from him, but now I've been saved by him. And so because he is my everything and I'm so consumed with him, I will spend my life telling people about Jesus. That's the race that I'm running. It's the finish line I'm striving to cross because that's my assignment And my task, you've been saved, now you serve. You've been born again, you have found eternal life, now tell the world. That's something that grips you. It's it's why Paul said in just various places in his writings through scripture, like Romans, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's one thing for us to say that in here. I'm not ashamed of Jesus, but he's saying it in the context of if you associate with him, you could die. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Throw the stone if you want to. Beat me if you have to, but I am not going to disassociate with the God that I love, with the Savior who saved my soul. I'm not going to be ashamed of him. He was gripped by this. 
He says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. He's saying there ought to be curses that fall over all over my life if I don't go and tell people what's happened to me. He said, I've become all things to all men that by all possible means I might just reach somebody. He's that compelled. Because only, if only, this one thing, got to do that. I got to tell people about Jesus. I recognize that you and I are not Paul. I'm Scotty. You're Freddie or Betty, Eddie, Gertrude, whoever you are. We're not the Apostle Paul. But if you've been changed by his grace, you have a story to tell. If you've called out to him and confessed him as Lord, and you've been changed from the inside out, that's your if only. Go tell the world about it. I have a few closing thoughts I want to give, with, uh, give you tonight and just close with. Um, and when I say a few, it's, it's seven. But just for the sake of accountability, I'll ask the worship team to come get in place. If I'm still preaching at nine o'clock, just start playing really loudly and singing. And Brenton, you can just dismiss everybody if I'm still preaching. But when I read this story of Paul and see how he was so focused... Even in the face of such adversity, even as he had to uh, overcome and make it through so many different trials, and yet you hear his heart for God, and you hear just what is propelling him, and he just says, this, this is what it's all about for me. I look at that and I say, is that true of my life? And is that what I've done as I've tried to serve this group, this church, and this ministry? And if you keep reading his story and you read on uh, through the chapter, even in uh, chapter 20, verse 27, he talks about how he's saying to these guys, like, hey, I didn't fail to teach the whole counsel of God to you. And I, when I read that, I thought, man, what a, what a, big statement for a preacher to make. It's like, hey, I told you guys everything y'all need to know. It's like, I, I don't know that I could totally say that. I hope that, and I believe that the work was not done in vain. I believe that the Lord's been honored. But if I only had just one shot to just tell you a few things before a night would come to an end, here would be the seven things that I'd want to say to you. I'm hoping that as I say these things, you're not going to be super impressed or going, wow, that's a great thought. Never thought about that. Because I've tried to come up with the seven things that I would say have really compelled me. 
or seven things that would kind of just sum up some big rocks of what we've tried to communicate be it on Wednesdays or Sundays or through life groups or at camps and things like that what has this ministry tried to stand for and tried to teach number one it would be that real life is found in Jesus Christ I mean just right out of the gate that's something that has just been my prayer just asking the Lord for his help is to introduce to a generation of students the person and the work of Jesus and in a world where people are looking for fulfillment in other stuff to get up and boldly proclaim you will not find peace you will not find hope you will not find fulfillment in any other thing or any other person John chapter 10 verse 10 Jesus said I came Jesus said I have come so that you could have life and have it to the full you want an incredible life spend your life serving our king there are some people in here tonight that they were here so long ago uh, they were part of the student ministry when it's called crossfire that was cool at the time really cool we had some killer cool t-shirts had a cross on it As I was just praying about the direction of the ministry, and I don't remember exactly when it was, but somewhere around 96-ish. Most of you weren't born. It's crazy. I was like, what do we want this, this ministry to stand for? What do we want it to be? And I just thought, I want it to be authentic. I want it to be genuine. I don't want it to be a bunch of religious, just routine. I want it to be the real deal. I don't want it to be like just this boring church, religious, like, okay, I, I did my time there. I wanted it to be full of life. So when we call this place real life, it's because we want to introduce to this world real life in Jesus Christ. As it relates to God's word, the second thought that I just hope that you'll never forget is that God's word is good stuff. I hope that you'll never forget that. On each of these points, I was tempted to share a verse for every single point and to tell one of my favorite stories for every single point. And then I thought it might take me another 20 years just to get through this sermon if I did that. But there are so many stories that I've told over the years just about this book. And I hope that you'll just fall in love with it. That you'll follow it. If you can't quote it, tote it. When you start your day, you may not have a ton of time, but get a little word in you never forget that God wants to talk to you the primary way God speaks is through his word as it relates to prayer the battle 
is one in prayer. So many stories, illustrations, pictures about the power of prayer. Always talk to Jesus when you're mad, when you're angry, when you're confused, when you're scared. When you're hurt, talk to Jesus. Remember, his silence does not represent his absence. So just because you feel like heaven is silent doesn't mean that God's not listening. You need to always remember he's as close as the very mentioning of his name. When you say, Jesus, he's right there. Talk to him. Give him your concerns. Give him your fears. Be honest. Don't be disrespectful. Remember, he's God and you're not. So I'm not on board. People say, I'm just real with God and I'll tell him what I think. You, you might start by remembering he's God. But he doesn't want us to be fake. But it is totally appropriate to say, God, I don't understand. Or, God, I don't get this. But I'm going to talk. I'm not going to cease to be in your presence. Never forget you're as close to God as you want to be. If you want to be closer to Jesus, he's cool with that. Totally up to you. The fourth thing that I would give you is when it comes to serving God. Dream big dreams and do big things for God. You're saved to serve. You're called to serve your God. Serve his house. Love this house. Love his people. The way you serve God is by serving others. And yet, if whatever dream you have, you can accomplish on your own, it's not a God dream. God gives us dreams that require us to get out of the boat and walk on water. Be compelled with God-sized faith. Dream big dreams. Do big things for God. The very first verse that we used just to form real life for Crossfire was 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. I refuse to believe as a youth pastor that this was just youth ministry. I refused to think this is just a group of teenagers. But instead, we determined pretty early on that we we're going to chase after God and we were going to dream big dreams and do big things for the Lord. And it was kind of interesting and kind of caught me off guard when I was speaking at a church this past Sunday in Kansas City and the pastor was introducing me. He started talking about what God has accomplished and done through this student ministry. And he made the comment and said that this group has raised more for missions or seen more people saved than most churches in America. I thought I didn't set out to do that as if that was our goal. But what a statement about young people who are leading the way. And I applaud you for that. I'm proud of you for that. 
Your biggest dream should be ahead of you. Pray big prayers, trusting God for big things. Number five, when it comes to God speaking something to you or showing you something or calling you to do something as it relates to obedience, obey right away without delay. Never forget that delayed obedience is disobedience. Partial obedience is disobedience. If I could just leave you with a thought on obedience, it's to remember that God does not bless your brilliance, but your obedience. God's not impressed with your talent. He gave it to you. Do with it what he's calling you to do. He didn't make you a great singer so you could be on The Voice. He didn't give you a lot of talent so you could be in America's Got Talent. He didn't give you a great business mind just so you could make a lot of money. He hasn't given you the ability to write just so that people will read your stuff. Whatever God has shaped you and formed you and wired you to do, He has a divine plan and purpose for it. Remember Psalm 139? All the days for you were ordained by God before you were ever here. So while you were still in your mother's womb, God put you together because he had a work for you to do. Your purpose was there before you were even a person. God created you because he already had a plan for you. Follow it. Do that. Spend your life for His glory, walking in obedience and following Him, knowing that His blessing follows obedience. Live it, you could say. Not merely listen to the Word. And so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. i got to throw this one in. It's what if and what happens when you mess up. Because we all do. If it helps you feel any better, Paul did also. But number six, write it down. Always run to God, not from Him. Remember the story, if you've been through junior high and high school here, you've probably heard me tell the story of burning the house down at least three or four times. The point was, if I would just run to those who could have helped, it would have worked out totally differently. But our human nature is to when we mess up is to flee the scene of the crime best thing that you can do if you find yourself caught in a trap with temptation you find yourself stumbling Proverbs says though a righteous man falls seven times he gets up every time the only person who is down is the person who stays down so okay you stumble you fell don't run from God Run to him. And you'll find, just like the parable when he taught us, the prodigal son, when you run to Jesus, he's already running to you. Not because he's chasing you because he's mad at you, but because he loves you and he's mad about you. So your failure is not final. Your past doesn't have to define you. You may not be able to change the past, but the future's in your hands. Run with God. Number seven. No matter what happens... Always, 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 always walk with Jesus. Remember the sweet little story I told you of my mamma. She'd always say that on the phone. Or what we'd be talking about. She 
Say, how was service, hon? I say, oh, it was great, Mamma. People were saved, or God did this, or God did that. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. She just break out in a prayer meeting right there on the phone. Just about every single time. She said, you hold on to Jesus. I said, yes, ma'am, ma'am. I'm going to hold on to Jesus. every goal in life but you fail to walk with God you've missed it but if you fail every earthly uh, objective that you have but you succeed to hold on to Jesus it's all good so no matter what happens never give up on God he's not giving up on you always 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 walk with Jesus Never, ever, 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 stop walking with him. I'm so glad you came tonight. I'm so glad that I get to see you here. to do so God may take you through transitions there may be different mountains valleys stay close to Jesus soon and very soon no more goodbyes no more pain no more problems no more just junk and stuff how many of you know heaven's going to be awesome <laughs>